0: Good afternoon, Church. My name's Juliet, for those who I haven't met. And tonight we'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, from verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany on the hill called the Mount of Olives... But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good afternoon again. You know, it's, great being able to sing, isn't it? So, Because singing has always been a very important activity for God's people. Uh, I realize that singing is great, we're doing it great, clapping not so good, we've got to work on that. But uh, a long time ago, you know, whenever pilgrims enter into Jerusalem, they would sing. It's kind of the done thing, right? They come to Jerusalem and the pilgrims will be singing. And for example, they would sing Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is, became a very important uh, psalm uh, in the New Testament uh, because it is a psalm that you know, a lot of the New Testament gospel quotes it, explains about who Jesus is, uh, and you know Paul alludes to it. So there's a lot of connection here in Psalm 118. But more importantly, Psalm 118 in its original context was used whenever a king I uh, would enter into Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. And so you can imagine they were singing this uh, psalm, 118, and the understanding is that here is the king, the king of Israel coming into Jerusalem. And that's exactly the, the picture that the gospel presents for us uh, for what is happening here in Luke 19. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem... And you know, just at the point where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, you know, Luke is very, very specific of the location. Uh, the whole crowd of disciples began singing and praising God with loud voices. Quoting Psalm 118, verse 26. Uh, this is the line, it says, uh, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So what we have here at the beginning of this narrative is this king who has come, who has returned. Um, These words, the first few words were, you know, sung often and referred many times in the gospel. For example, uh, again, another account in the gospel of Matthew talking about the same thing, uh, says, "'The crowd went ahead of him, and those who followed shouted, "'Hosanna to the son of David.'" Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So here is this, here is Jesus coming into Jerusalem, uh, riding on a, a colt, a kind of a donkey. And the disciples were using some, singing Psalm 118. And in fact, by virtue of doing that, was making extraordinary claims for Jesus, about Jesus. They were saying that here is this promised Messiah, the King, the one that God has chosen. And not only that, he's going to save God's people and he's going to redeem the entire creation, including the heavens. Such claims it's no wonder that the Pharisees in the crowd were a little bit offended. Uh, you know, basically, you could think of someone who makes such claim as, you know, having, uh, having uh, being disillusioned about their own self-worth, having this vision of grandiosity. I'm the savior of the world. And so the Pharisees in the crowd say, you know, teacher, rebuke your disciples Why? Because they are making such extraordinary claims. This is not good. But Jesus replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If these people do not proclaim, Psalm 118, verse 26, and acknowledging that I am the one that God has chosen to save this city, then you've missed the point. And this point is so important that God would even make stones cry out so that we get it rather than miss it. So Jesus didn't rebuke his disciples. He did not even refute their claims. He makes an even greater claim that if these disciples were to keep quiet, then God would make creation shout, this is my king, the king who is going to his throne to be crowned. You know, we, we were going to be spending some time looking at Jesus as we kind of approach Good Friday and, and Easter. And today, you know, we, we, we kind of think about how do, we, how do we view this Jesus? How do we view the claims that people make about him and the claims that he make about himself? Someone once told me that, you know, after reading the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, there are only basic three Possible conclusions that you can come up with. You can finish with this point. Firstly, you could either conclude that Jesus is mad, right? He's he's disillusioned. He's got these ideas of grandiosity of being the savior of the world. Jesus is mad. Or the second claim, of course, is that, or the second conclusion is that Jesus is bad, right? Sympathom says Jesus is lying. He's actually for himself, he's not the savior. Or Jesus is telling the truth and if Jesus is telling the truth then he is who he claims to be that makes Jesus Lord right you got to work out whether you think Jesus is mad for claiming to be God's Messiah being able to save the world or Jesus is a bad person lying or Jesus is the Lord so I want to start painting a picture of Jesus as we approach Good Friday and Easter. Uh, and this afternoon, I want to look at three pictures of this king. First of all, as we look at this king, we see his humility, right? If Jesus is king, then he is a king like no other king that we have seen or will ever see. He is humble. Secondly, we see that this is a king who loves his people and weeps over their laws, And finally, we'll see that this is a king, a priestly king who has come to put his house in order. I'm going to ask uh, God's help again as we listen to his word. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to see this king. Uh, We don't want to be uh, blind. Uh, In fact, if the stone has to do the job for us, then we should be ashamed. We want to do the job of proclaiming this king, and we ask you for your help. In Jesus' name, again. I got a call from Scott Morrison this week. It's a funny conversation. It goes like this. Hi, Reverend Ling. It's uh, Scott Morrison calling from Canberra. How are you going? You know, those folks in Epping, are they treating you well? I said, yeah, not bad. They're nice. Epping is a great place. I'm going to drop into Epping this coming week. And uh, because I don't have my own transport, I don't have a car, uh, I was wondering if I could borrow your 2001 Toyota Corolla because I need a ride into the town and and I think your Toyota Corolla will just be the thing I need. You just send the right message that I'm the prime minister, I'm in charge. Look, I'm going to send two of my guys to pick it up on Thursday. Thanks, Josh, I owe you one. That's kind of what's happening here in Luke 19, isn't it? If Jesus is the king who is coming to his palace, then he is a pretty poor king. This king doesn't own anything, right? You know, he sends his disciples ahead and he's going to borrow a ride. Have you ever heard of a king who needs to borrow a ride? Jesus has no earthly possessions to call his own. He owns no house. He, he has no fields, no bank account, no superannuation. He doesn't even have a pillow to put his head on. What a king. Everything that he has was either donated, the scripture tells us that there were people who supported Jesus' ministry. A lot of them were women. They were either donated or in this case, Borrowed. I'm just going to jump ahead and say, even when he died, his grave was borrowed. Someone has to loan him a grave so that he could be buried, Uh, which was okay because he didn't need it for very long. It's okay. Uh, and so, you, you read at the beginning of this verse, in verse 28, Jesus says, he, that he says that Jesus went ahead of his disciples, right? Literally, Jesus couldn't wait. His disciples were still chatting, you know, a little bit like us, you know, after church service, they were mingling and talking, and Jesus says, I want to go ahead. And some people think that, oh, Jesus has gone ahead to arrange for this, you know, this special donkey or this colt. Uh, maybe, but I think it's unlikely, right? The, the owner who owns the colt, the colt is just a young a horse, or pony, or donkey, uh, a male, uncastrated, probably very hard to control. Um, he, he has no idea. He says, why are you taking this thing? This, you know, why do you need it? So I don't think Jesus arranged it. But whatever the situation, but I don't think Jesus, I think it was a miracle. God knew that his son needed it and provided it. It was a borrow code. So a king coming to, into the capital of his kingdom didn't come with his army. Kings normally have his army and chariots and horses that are strong and trained and look majestic. Uh, But Jesus didn't have that. Instead of an army, he had a band of fishermen, some tax collectors, some zealots, and some peasants. Not a very inspiring sight. But that's the thing, right? Here's Here's the irony. Don't be fooled by what we see with our eyes because here is indeed the king of kings and the Lord of Lords but he comes as a servant he comes to serve he comes to save in fact when the people shouted Hosanna 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 just means saved saved here is a person who is going to save the world save his people save you and I But here is a king who gave it all up. He emptied himself. Right? He, he, he could come, literally, uh, with a lot more than just a coat, an army. This is how Paul describes it. Uh, let me pass that. Okay, so Paul described it this way. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being, being in very nature God, He probably said, is, uh, is, is he mad, is he bad, or is he the real king? Pharisees decided that maybe he's not. You've got to make out your own mind. Secondly, here is a king who is not afraid to look weak. Right? Compassion is not weakness when it comes to a Christian character. Mercy is not weak. Patient is not weak. Jesus came and as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The day will come upon you when your enemies will beseech you. You will fail. The city will fall because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You didn't recognize what God was doing, essentially, God was going to come to His people. They didn't recognize it. So here, here's the irony, right? The people in Jesus, they were looking for a strong king. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for a king, uh, the kind that would have his own armies and chariots, didn't need to borrow his rye, uh, and who could kick the Romans out. That's what they were hoping that Jesus would do. But they were blind. Uh, they couldn't see that the king before them was the king they need, may not be the king they wanted. Here is a king who brings peace, indeed peace in the highest heaven, which means a peace that reconciles not just things on earth, but the entire spiritual world. That's what Jesus came to do, saved, Another you know, the translation for save is heal. Jesus is going to heal the broken relationship between God and man and earth and as well as the entire heavens. Uh, so it's sad when, they, here, here, here they are, they're, they're blind. They couldn't humble themselves. They couldn't put away their pride. They, they couldn't put away their preconceived worthy ideas. They did not recognize the time of God's coming in Jesus. And, uh, so Jesus predicted a time when what they took pride in will be taken away, right? In AD 70, this city, this beautiful city with its beautiful stones and dressing was taken away, was destroyed. Jesus wept over, the, over Jerusalem. Because like the people in exile, remember last week we, we talk about the people during the Uh, days of prophet Jeremiah, 605 BC, uh, that the people in Jerusalem were fixated on the fact, fixated on the building, on the temple, and not on their lives. Remember I said that, you know, there is no sacredness of place without the sacredness of life. This is not holy if you are not holy, if we are not holy, if we do not speak the truth if we do not live lives that reflect God's integrity in us, that the Spirit is working in us. If we do not open our eyes and see our nakedness and blindness and come before God and say, yeah, I need to rethink who you are. This is how Peter described it. Describe it, right? Again, see the reference in Psalm 118. We don't have time to go into Psalm 118, but Psalm 118 has a verse that says, "The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone." Peter referred to that, alluded to that, and say, "As you come to Him, Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stone, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy, holy priesthood, offering." Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, we are the temple, right? Not, not the physical building now. And Peter goes on to say, leave such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What's happening here in the Mount of Jerusalem? On the way, it will happen again. God is going to come back again. Only this time, let's not be blind. Finally, so first we saw a king who is humble, lowly. Uh, A a king who is compassionate for his people and identified with them. And lastly, we saw a king, a high priestly king. So when Jesus entered the uh, temple, courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers notice what jesus is calling that place my house that's his that's his palace my house will be a house of prayer but you have made it into a den of robbers essentially a high priest is someone who mediates between god and people high priest offers prayers for his people and bring them bring their prayers before god Jesus is playing that role here when he comes into his temple. He says, this, this place is meant for prayer. It's prayer for the nations and prayer of the nations. Nations can come and pray as well as praying for the nations. The, the area that the, um, the merchants were occupying were meant to be for the Gentiles. In other words, when they were there, they were cheating the Gentiles of the opportunity to know the real God funny again as we think about this situation Israel, God's people in Jesus' time were in exile still, exactly like that because Jesus in quoting my house will be a house of prayer and you have made it into a den of robbers is quoting the prophet Jeremiah right prophet Jeremiah say had this house which bear my name God says to Jeremiah became a den of robbers to you but I have been watching, declares the Lord. What's, what's wrong? Go back a few verses. Uh, Jeremiah explains, uh, God reveals to the people, will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, lying, cheating, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bear my names and say, we are safe"? safe to do all these detestable things? a group of people who say, yeah, this is Jerusalem. God will never destroy Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, well, think again. My house is meant to be a house of prayer. And when God's people are not doing that priestly role, then there, there will be Judgment. And so here is Jesus coming in to fulfill that. He ultimately is the, the great high priest and king. Uh, maybe you might know this song, but it says something about your generation. But Beth Midler wrote a song, God is watching us from a distance. I'm looking at Graham because he's probably my age. You know, he. <laughs> so true, Jeremiah, God is saying this, God is watching, all right? God is watching everything except, I I disagree with Bette Midler, but not from a distance. God came down in Jesus to actually be with his people. And so here is this king who is now, you know, coming to entering Jerusalem as the king that he rightfully should be. I want to finish with the parable of uh, Jesus See, usually when you, you can read the Bible and you preach the Bible, you, you kind of need to begin with a bit of a context, right? The passage above and then the passage below helps us to understand what is the key message. And I kind of flip it around because I kind of want to make this the most important point, right? So if you look at the context before that, it really explains why Jesus was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. Uh, so verse, verse 28, for example, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going on to Jerusalem, Jesus was in a hurry after he said something. So what did he say? Uh, To to find out, then we have to go to the section above, right? The the beginning of the next the the top section. Where again, you know, while they were listening to this, uh, he went on to tell them just Jesus told them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So again they have misunderstanding of the kind of king and the kind of kingdom that was to come. And so Jesus told them this parable. He says, a man of noble birth went on to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Here's the context. The king is coming to his kingdom. He's going to be appointed king. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minors. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation under, after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. They're undermining him, right? They're just secretly coming to torpedo his, or basically say, we don't want this person to be king, whatever you do, whoop. right? Whatever. He was made king, however, right? This king was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent for the servant, um, He was made king, and then in order, so he sent for the servant to him. He had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. And the first one came, sir, your minor has earned 10 more. Well done, my good and faithful servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in this very small matter, take charge of 10 cities, and so on and so forth. So Jesus goes through the list, 10 minus 5, unto the one who hid it, where then Jesus pronounced a judgment on them and said, you wicked servant. You don't understand who the real king is. And then those people who opposed him, those who opposed his kingship, they'll be judged. Bring them out and then kill them. And then after saying that, Jesus rushed away and said, I need to get to Jerusalem. I think that where this context is heading is it's quite clear. Jesus is that king who is going to be appointed but he is in enemy territory. There are people who will not submit to him, people who do not want him to be king, but he is going to be king anyway. And while he is on his journey to king, he entrusted his servants to do a few things, to wait for him to come back. But while they are waiting, they are to utilize the things that God, you know, Jesus, the king has given them to grow that kingdom. You know what the thing is that as we think about Good Friday, so here is this king on a borrowed ride, nothing to his name. Here is this king who weeps, who seems weak. Here is this king who then fulfills his role as a priest and he's going to be crowned. And the place where he is crowned is on the cross. That's it. All the narrative is setting up for us to understand that this is a very different king. By dying, through death, he actually conquered his enemies. So, Hosanna, Hosanna. Saved, saved. You know, the people who were saying that had no idea what Jesus had to go through. And that's a journey that we're going to continue on Friday and on Sunday. But let's pray. Uh, Lord, we come before you and acknowledge that we are blind. Uh, We would have done exactly the same thing the disciples did if we were there. And if it was only because we are on this side of the cross where we have your Holy Spirit that we can look back and say, yeah, that was irony, that was ironic. Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask for your mercy and grace. Open our eyes to see this Jesus again and help us to work out who he really is. Is he really mad or is he bad? And help us to open our eyes to see that he indeed is the king. Maybe not the kind of king we want, but the kind of king we need. Amen.